Hello and welcome to episode four of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray back from a week on the road in Melbourne and happily ensconced back on the flight deck here at Talking Golf Central Studio One as we prepare to sound the klaxon and pull back the curtain on the stuff that other golf podcasts don't talk about. Lots to get through from another interesting week in the game, and here, but here to help us do just that is Adrian Lowe, looking right at home in the passenger seat there at Sydney Podcast Studios. Adrian, it's been far too long since we had you here face-to-face. It is, and it's a big relief not to have a bird's nest sitting directly <laughs> above my head with Recording birds chirping aviary, yes, that's or, right. or like my microphone scratching against a shirt or something like that. So You're not yeah, a mobile guy, to, are you? That's great. Really, no, I haven't worked it out. The on-the-road stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll have some training courses uh, to get you over there. Good to have you here. Looking forward to chatting to you. Beaming in from our satellite studio in Georgia in the US, but joining us in real time time thanks to the wonders of modern technology it's feed the ball host Derek Duncan Derek looking forward to looking into some of the topics you've nominated in this week's behind the scenes good good Google doc there's a document that no very few eyes will ever see uh, likewise I'm eager to get started and I'm uh, just to kind of set the scene I am sitting here it's kind of cold it finally the weather broke a little bit here uh, in the United States in the southeast and it was a little chilly so I'm uh, wearing a nice kind of fleece quarter zip pullover Tell me the more. kind that you can probably order <laughs> from the golf society <laughs> do you go, oh what did, did you ah. go, did you buy it did you say you bought it from the, you didn't buy it from the golf society we'll come to I did in a not I had but, it already but it just reminded me of, uh, of the the type of uh, merchandise that you, is available online what a good sponsor even need you prompting. that's exactly right yeah. because the first thing on the list here gents is homework and the first thing on the homework list is the start of a mention of our sponsors now the golf society.com.au as you mentioned there Derek online retailers of high-end and up-to-date fashion now I was chatting with Aaron yesterday from the society about all sorts of stuff we've got a couple of technical issues with the talking golf landing page which we're working on when i say we i mean he because <laughs> that's more his bag than mine so plenty of time in the car back on the way from melbourne i don't fly as you know adrian so 12 hour drive for me there and back anyway he was up to his armpits in stock yesterday because apparently you would know this probably you too it's change of season in the fashion world is that right uh indeed I, well i guess all around the world, there's, but you know, you've got when the weather changes, this, the, the fashion happens. tends to yeah, follow it, right? Yes. So I, I kind of That's put those two together. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, now, this week, apparently, you received the latest range from Jay Lindeberg. It's good he, stuff. Here's quiz time for you, both of you. What sponsored golfers wear Jay Lindeberg? Uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> not so funny now, is it? Yeah. Um, there was it's big on the European. There was the tour, Swedish right? guy, yeah, who had the very short backswing. There you go. I can't remember his name. The he Swedish had long, guy long hair and a very short, short backswing. backswing. Fantastic, Adrian. You've yeah. really addressed yeah. things there. He was actually pretty mediocre. So okay. let's not let's not dwell on that. Does the name Victor I, Hovland mean anything to you? Oh, Victor Hovland. Okay, mm. all right. You ever heard of Matt Wallace? Norwegian's finest. Matt Wallace. Matt Wallace. I'm yeah. sure. Enjoy. Yeah. Enjoy Jonas Blixt. James Blixt. I think makes sense. of Johan Carlson. He's got a big shock of hair. But more interestingly, uh, I looked on the, the women's side, Camilla Lindnerth and Kelly Tan, but the <laughs> one that really impresses me, and this is the guy I really like, is Troy Mullins, the long drive girl with that crazy shock oh, of yeah, hair. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's a Jay Lindeberg girl. So there you go. There if you, you want to look like any of those players, thegolfsociety.com.au is the place. And apparently also, uh, you're a shoe guy, aren't you, Adrian? Yeah. Apparently, oh, the, new, the new Puma range has arrived. Okay. I'll have to check those out. Well, I will guarantee you they don't have anything to fit me. I'm telling you that right now. Yeah, you're kind of a little bit a bit of a freak with so your extremities. As, as, as your, dad, your extremities have got... As my dad used to say, <laughs> those things could be jet skis. I've got enormous feet. Yeah. Uh, and, which is always interesting, Derek, when you walk it's into a... Humble brag. When you walk into a shoe shop, I've also got a large nose. When you walk into a shoe shop and say, oh, have you got anything in size 15? And they say, oh, you might struggle. You go, really? I never have before. It's just started now, has it? The lack of size 15 shoes around the place. Anyway. Head to thegolfsociety.com.au and check all of that out, particularly the uh, the Jay Lindeberg range. Use the link in our show notes, though. Use the link in the show notes. Have you got my script in front of you? Is that what you're doing? No. It's no. exactly the next thing Sorry. in the script. There's a link in the show notes uh, with lots of great accessories for both men and women from some of the most sought-after brands, including Jay Lindeberg. Let's talk about some golf stuff. You blokes have done the heavy lifting this week, of course, while I was away in Melbourne at the Golf Management Australia Conference, which was kind of interesting in itself. We might even chat a little bit about that. Uh, later, I know you've been to a couple of these GMA. To- Are you a conference goer, Derek? Uh, no, I'm not. I don't know that I've ever really been to a conference. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh huh. I'm not recommending. Never been invited it. I'm either. Not, I'm not recommending it a hundred percent, 
but I think they're more valuable than most people give them the credit for. So we might chat about that a bit later. Sure. Got a bit of... anyway, I had a look at the uh, the Google Doc talking points this morning. There's some really good stuff in there to sink our teeth into. Let's start with some missed homework from last week, Adrian. I blame you for missing it, but mm-hmm. I'm also going to throw it to you sure. to make amends for the first item on your list. Uh, we got a. I just wanted to mention we got a five star review from Matt Mollica mm-hmm. on the podcast. And it, it's you- out of five. Let's point that out. Five- <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's right. No, not a ten. There wasn't a, the option to go to ten. It wasn't a half baked thing. Yes. Matt said one of golf's best podcasts. Really insightful and enjoyable golf discussion with Adrian, Rod, and Derek. Highly recommended. And I think it's fairly telling that he mentioned me first on the list there. So, thank you, Matt, for that very kind review. Because very Matt, kind and, last, and insightful. But, you know, like a, as the, I think he put me third as a cleanup hitter as doing the heavy lifting. Well, he's Australian. Um, indeed. You're American. I just didn't want to be in the middle. You know. Uh, Matt's actually a very good guy. We both know Matt personally, both Adrian and I. And he's one of the good guys. Uh, he's on our side. Big hickory player. He's a member at the National. Yeah. I think Royal Melbourne. He's a very nice guy. He's a nicer person than you and me. He certainly is, and he's a very thoughtful and uh, committed golfer. Does a lot of work, uh, just sort of volunteer work, pushing uh, the agenda of golf. And, uh, good so on Thank you for that, Everybody should follow his example everybody and give us five-star reviews and say well, very nice things about funny us. Funny you should say that. People always bang on on podcast. You hear us all the time. Rate and review. It'll help us grow. Nonsense. It doesn't. Don't take any notice of what Rod's t- telling your people. It's no, no, no. It's good. It, it's good. <laughs> it's, you, it, we, it helps my ego. Yeah, it's not to it's say rating interviews about it this. Is. It doesn't drive any traffic. If you've got a podcast and you think that's driving traffic, it doesn't. What it is is what do they call it? Social confirmation. It's people confirming that the show is good. Okay. But and you guys would know yourself. When was the last time you went onto iTunes and thought, let's find something with good ratings and reviews and listen to that? That's true. You but come you to the show the, first, the then iTunes you read the ratings. The algorithm just is, could suddenly depend on lots of five-star ratings. Well, so. Funny you should say that because funnily enough, yeah. it does depend on numbers of ratings and reviews, but it doesn't matter whether they're one or five stars. Oh, is that right? Lots of traffic equals a bit higher up the list okay. in some way. So there you go, a little peek behind the podcast curtain oh, for you. you Stop saying rate and reviews. It'll help us, but feel free to say, share the show if you like it. Excellent. Tell a friend about it. Great idea. Uh, do that too. Yeah. To make this a show, we'd have to talk about some stuff. Why don't we do that? Um, we touched on this last week. That, do we want to start with the driver testing? I'm not sure about mm-hmm. this as an interesting topic. I'm well, not just interested in maybe the- Maybe we can- Well, I think we should check in on this one every now and then. I'm not concerned about the drivers failing the test per se. That's obviously no. it, But I'm, I'm concerned about the ho-hum response. Nobody seems to care. Yeah, everyone's missing the point. The point is that these manufacturers are still trying to get away with- bring things right up to the line and they're not being held accountable because this of this uh, confidentiality that mm. they've put around the process. And I just don't get that. Derek, who, who are they trying to protect with the confidentiality? Well, everybody. Derek, why does golf do the, Why this veil of sexuality? We have the same thing with the drug testing. We have the same thing with any disciplinary stuff with PGA Tour players. Now, I know that you've given up on professional golf. You've made that clear the last couple of weeks. You're not interested in, <laughs> in it anymore. But isn't this just one of the myriad problems is this notion that if you censor it, it's as though it never happened, which is just rubbish. It's fairly effective, though, is it not? No. I mean, the, we, we never hear anything about the discipline or, or much about fines or, you know, it's, it's the PGA Tour is very effective at, at squashing these uh, behind the scenes, the uh, unsavory side of, of the tour. So, I mean, I guess if you're trying to promote and protect your brand, uh, you do, wouldn't want stories like this, you know, to be above the fold, so to speak. So, I, mean, I give them credit for for their policy because they're they're good at it. It would be a, it would be really embarrassing for them if if all of this stuff started to leak out, like like things leak out of the White House now. But they they run a better ship than than the president of the United States oh, does. We'll get emails. There'll be emails. I'm not giving yeah. out an email address now that you've said that, just in case. Um, but um, I mean, clearly, they, so they don't. They don't want to talk about this. They don't want this to be news. Um, and therefore, and so they they are able to control the the narrative a little bit, since um, what little information we do have is is not filtering into the golf mainstream. However, that works. It also has to do, you know, with the way media works in general. I was thinking about this. How do how does anything become a story? Nowadays, um, how do how does anything relating to golf make it into uh, into the the news filter of the average guy who's watching the you know the event over the weekend on his TV or her? Um, it, it is it's just really interesting what takes off and and what catches on. Like, like 
earlier in the year when when Kucher had the the tipping debacle, I mean that that went viral. Everybody was talking about it. Everybody knew about it. And I don't know how that became such a a huge story. And yet something like this, which actually has more consequence and is really more, it should be more of a story, is just kind of you know. It doesn't. It doesn't ring the bell like you know something that's a little bit more, you know, embarrassing or salacious would. So I think it. I think it has to do with uh, the way in the current digital age how we all get our information, and this just hasn't had enough force behind it to to navigate all the the different channels and the, the tweets and retweets or online websites or however we get our information. It just doesn't have that push, which I kind of find. It's really a comment on on how we take in our media these days. The media structure rather than the story itself. If this had with it, Adrian, a a, a photo or a video of a driver failing the test, whatever that might look like, and it was visually interesting, would it have gone viral? Is is Derek right perhaps in that sense? Perhaps. I I think people struggle to make the connection with the flaw in in the manufacturing that is causing it to be, to cause this club face creep. Uh, and it the, com- the, right the combination of things that yeah, it's the the club face creep and the fact that they're pushing it right up to the limit. Mm. I think people struggle to make the connection between that and actual performance advantage. Um, like a, I think they assume it's like a tiny amount, but you know, a tiny amount counts over the course of a career. Uh, so I think there is a significant issue with the fact that these drivers are just even slightly over the well, limit. They're breaching like, the limit plus the tolerance. Yeah, that's so, right. Yeah, so and that's the thing that really upsets me, and I think that's the point that everyone's missing: is why do they put all of this effort into pushing it right mm. up to the limit and just beyond? Yeah. Leaving um, aside the bigger discussion, about just into their buffer, what that means for the game. Uh, I reckon Clates had the best take on this when it first broke after the the Open Championship, which was, you know, they're saying, "Oh well, it's only just over by a tiny bit," and he said, yeah. "Well, no, that's like a caddy who's five minutes late. If he's five yeah. minutes late, he's actually twenty minutes late because yeah. his his start time is not your tea time; it's a minimum of fifteen minutes before." Yeah. That's right. I mean, it's equivalent of like, oh, I only just marked my ball an inch closer to the hole. Lexi Thompson. (laughs) Well, no, that's that's what people said. She got no advantage. She didn't move it very far. Why is it an issue? It's an issue because- Because those inches add up over a career. And yeah, it's- No, it's- That's, I think, the thing I find objectionable about it. And that's why I find the confidentiality an issue is Mm. because I think they have to be named. And who's- Who's who's hurt by naming them? Like if if the club is actually non-conforming, then you know that's they, fix it. They, they should just fix it. Yeah, fix it. stop stop doing <laughs> just, it. Um, I, I was interested to see that the USGA is, uh, not I wouldn't say partnering, but assisting the tour with the testing, and I think they're providing people and machinery or something like that. What's the mood like in that room when the USGA and the PGA <laughs> Tour guys get together, Derek? What do you reckon? Uh, I, th- I think at, with those equipment guys and everything, they're all sort of all peers t- and all the same colour. Yeah, they're all, yeah. But the um, uh, they've got those uh, USGAs doing testing on specific hot hot spots around the face of the driver, and sometimes they manufacture a specific hot spots. I just love that that they're. There's oh, this little game of chess yeah, yeah, starting yeah. to form where it's like, you know, well, we know the sweet spot in the middle of the club face uh-huh. is probably a little bit deader than the top toe or something like that on the tailor-made drivers and it's in a slightly different spot in Callaway and I, I love that bit of it. And that's apparently accounting for the fact that the, it's passing the manufacturer's test but not the USGA test in some cases. So Terrific piece from Nick Menta well, at uh, the Golf Channel. Well, Rod, what do you think would... Yeah, sorry. What do you think would, would make this story more relevant to, to more of the golfing public? What would have to happen? Hmm. That's a good question. I don't understand why it's not. To me, this is as a journo, this straight away is a red flag to me. Great story. Manufacturers breaching the limit. Players playing with equipment they shouldn't be playing with. The can of worms that opens is enormous. I don't understand why people haven't. Well, Tom, haven't Tom Brady with the deflated but, balls was well, even I a heard huge about thing. That. Oh, got, we know you're a big NFL fan, Adrian, but I, I even I heard about that. I, I don't understand why it's not. I'm not sure what else you need to have. This happens quite often, though, with news these well, days, doesn't it? I mean, it? The, the bottom line, though, is it's, it's just not being reported widely. I mean, Shackleford has it on his website, and the, the piece, I think, came from the Golf Channel. Yeah, Nick yeah. Mentor, which was a really good piece, uh, which I'll put a link yeah. to in and, the show notes. So, I mean, I think, I think we, we know really what's happening here. That obviously, beyond the PGA squashing stories like this uh, 
the whole golf industry is tied up with the, I mean, equipment manufacturers mm-hmm. pay the bills in, in many ways, um, mm-hmm. especially the media bills, you know, print magazines and, um, you know, television ads. Uh, it's very, people are very going to be very reluctant to, to try to villainize the manufacturing companies, people in, in positions of power, people who have a, an ability to re- report these stories. Now, obviously, Reporters, that's their job to do it, but they're not going to get any assistance from from anybody who is in, invested and in, in, is weary of upsetting, you know, mm. tipping over the apple cart, which would be the the, the manufacturers. So it, it's a it's a critical issue that go, goes really down to the to the core of of who pays the bills and and what drives professional golf. Mm. It's a, it, and it is a tricky business. You, you don't envy those in positions where they've got to negotiate that relationship between the reading public and the people paying the bills. But that's what. That's what media is. That's what being a news organisation is, and and that's disappeared in so many areas. But golf is a is a lovely little. Uh, you, you can look at golf. It's a lovely little mini version of the rest of society and the relationship with the media. And people golfers need to decide whether that's what they want. The truth is, we're all grown ups. I don't think there's any golfer out there that is going to see a story about this in a magazine and say, "Well, that's it. I'm never buying a ping driver again, or I'm never buying a Callaway." Driver. And given that all the manufacturers have been caught it's not one manufacturer only um the problem the problem is the manufacturers with their relationships with the the media the retribution for any negative stuff is so swift and also irrational but also unspoken and and unspoken Never, never do they send an email that says you wrote that story we're pulling our ads it's as simple as uh when the time comes to renegotiate the next 12 months of ads the manufacturer says, well, we've had a bit of a change of policy. We're going to put more resources into yeah. this area or that, and there's not as much left over for you. So, the, But but the, the unspoken word is we didn't like yeah. what you did. But sometimes it's explicit as well, and uh, and there's no delay about it. It like happens mm. you know, the very next day you hear about it, and it's also there's, there's just no logic to it. Mm. You can't make that argument of, oh, well, the average golfer's not going to, you know, Skip on a ping driver because of this article. Like they're, they're not. They're far more. They're sensitive to it. It's an they're competitive extremely market. Extremely sensitive to it. You wouldn't want to be in the golf club business. I don't reckon. It wouldn't be an easy way to make a buck. Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of inputs and lots of hope that the sales match and uh, and cover all that. It's a complicated. Show. I feel like we're more grown up for the most part, though. The golf public, and particularly in golf. I've said this before. Maybe it's a. I might be off track. I feel like Derek. Golfers as fans are generally a more educated bunch than fans of other sports. Am I imagining that? Well, that's Self- a pretty low bar to get over. <laughs> that's true, but self-educated oh. in the sense that I feel like most golfers are, and now I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about the people I play with, and I think I might withdraw that statement because I think it's completely wrong. <laughs> I think there's a segment that Adrian? I really do it. Yeah, well, no, I don't often play with Adrian, <laughs> but uh, maybe that's I don't know. I mean, I, this is becoming a, a, a bit of a theme on – this podcast is who who watches golf? Who are these people? Mm-hmm. Who are they? How many are they? And why do they watch it? Um, so I don't I don't know that I could really answer that if they're more sophisticated or not. You'd think so. I mean, golf just has a way historically of of kind of bringing out or revealing character and attracting people who are attracted to the the, the etiquette side of it. And at least that's the way it used to be. I'm not sure if it's that way anymore. But, but if you if you draw you know, connect the dots, then yeah, you'd think that the average fan would would be a little bit more uh, aware and care more and specifically care more about this issue because it goes to the heart of what makes golf great, which is an abidance of the rules. And, you know, if these drivers are becoming illegal one way or the other, you would think that if golf fans are more sophisticated, this would really, really bother them. So that's that's kind of the, the big missing, you know, that's, that's the big question mark with this story is, is why... People, why do you not? Why do golf fans not care more about this? Which is what you've been talking about, and uh, I'm just trying to find out why as well. Mm. Yeah, I just, they don't make that connection between an extra yard or two meters or whatever it is at the other end of the fairway. I just think that's the that's the thing. Was it a more apathetic golf public? Is the, is the golf consumer changing? Or, <clears throat> is the modern golf? That's, I that's think, what I'm, I'm yeah, trying to get at. Yeah. I think there's. I, I see. I, I go on a bunch of golf forums. I very rarely post on them, but I, I like to read it because you kind of where you find real golfers on forums talking about real stuff and the obsession over equipment and the disinterest in anything to actually do with the stuff that we think is good about the game is quite confronting. 
in some places. So I wonder whether there's a whole generation for whom the shiny equipment, which wasn't an option when we start when we took an interest in golf in the eighties and nineties, wasn't really an option. People would buy a driver, they would keep it for. Greg Norman carried his Pacific Trooper for yeah. twenty five years. Yep. Twenty five. <laughs> they changed him every other month. Yeah, when Johnny Miller was in the in the early seventies competing at the Masters, I think he was he played a like a a wooden club from the nineteen fifties, forties or fifties. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And that that wasn't that uncommon. In fact, players would be heartbroken if they damaged or broke a club that they'd been using for a long time. Because yes. it's sort of suited. So there's been a big shift there, and I wonder whether that's now filtering through and changing things at the other end, whereas we used to demand certain things, or, or, or be a, that certain things about clubs might appeal to us of this generation. It's a totally different thing at the other end. So I, I think we've given up some things in that. There's a lot of romance being lost from the equipment in particular. you only got to look at the pictures of the beautiful persimmon clubs that people post on Twitter and Facebook all the time, and it's a, it's a delight. You couldn't possibly be attracted to a metal-headed club in the same way no matter what happens. So something's been lost there, but I wonder whether that shift is now, is its generation. Now, I think, I'm trying to remember, I think Aaron Baddeley admitted that he had hit a persimmon club once in his life. Wow. By the time he'd turned pro. So he took the game up at the age of 12 or 13, early 90s. Yeah. Early to mid nineties, he was turning. Well, he won the Australian Open yep. in ninety nine yep. as an amateur, yep. so he kind of knew someone who had a. But by then, it was already the done. Club was a thing of the past in terms of the next generation of golfers. So we've now got two generations of golfers for whom the wooden club might as well be behind glass, yeah. and all that came with it. Which I guess is kind of what we're talking about. It's not so much the club itself, but it's the game that was played because of that club and the other clubs you used. That's where the big changes. Have been. It, it sound, if only somebody wrote an article about this stuff <laughs> during the week. There's, uh, uh, I did manage to uh, churn out a, a column about this for Golf Australia magazine, which I do weekly. Whilst I was uh, whilst I was, on. I was, I was, I'll be honest with you, I was absolutely flabbergasted. This happens every week. I write something, I read it, I think that's rubbish, but there's a deadline. <laughs> I send it off, fully expecting <laughs> to get an email back saying, "Trash this and write something sensible." Uh, and it invariably gets published, and the reaction always surprised me. And this one in particular, this one went uh, went pretty nuts, didn't it? You, well, you you covered off a few topics. Curious, take take me through what you uh, you covered off. There was, I, I mean, I've, 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 read, I've written another column since then, so I can't honestly remember. We'll, we'll, put, we'll put a link in the show notes for you. But uh, you, you talk, I mean, primarily it's about an obsession that we have here in Australia about playing competition yeah, golf, I, right? I, I think it's un- not uniquely Australian, but it's very much. It's it's much more obvious here than in other parts of the world, I suspect. Yeah, it's really inbuilt into the golf industry here. Mm. It's almost like the whole industry has conspired to force us to play yeah. competition golf to, to almost put, every time yeah. we go out. To put you in the picture, Derek, and anybody else listening from outside of Australia, and Adrian would know these people too, I could name you probably five people who if I rang them today and said, do you want to go for a hit of golf, their first question would be, is there a comp on? And if you said no, they would say no. Don't play golf unless they play in a competition. So are uh, these like sponsored competitions? No, no, no. We'll just have the, the club. Or, not sponsored, on, but like official. Like you, you, yeah, you, you turn your scorecard in right. and they put you your hands up on the board. So, so in Australia, most golfers in Australia, I would say the majority of golfers, never play anything but competition golf. So most clubs in Australia, almost every day, there will be a competition on. You go to play on a Monday, Tuesday, they'll have some form of formal competition that you enter, pay an extra $2 on top of the green fee, and you're a part of the comp. And in Australia, it's just accepted that if you're going to play golf, you play competition golf. You just don't go out mm-hmm. with your mates for a social hit or a, or a match play. Sorry, I interrupted you there. I'm not sure people no, outs- that, outside yeah, Australia very, get that. It certainly doesn't sound like anything I'm familiar with in the United States, mm-hmm. uh, where where the, the casual round is is what most people play. And then you have, you know, if you've got a group, you, you know, w- throw a little wager on top of there. But it's different than what you're describing was being involved in a full-on tournament. Yeah. I think it starts with the way that you get on a golf course here. Like, mm-hmm. there's there's public golf, sure, but it's mostly the, – the first question you're asked when you're visiting a club is, do you have a handicap um, or you know, do you have a golf link number is, is the question everybody asks you. Um, and the, the implication is that, oh, yeah, okay, we'll let you play in our comp as a visitor. Mm-hmm. Um because there's a comp on every day. And it's just it's this combination of factors that conspire to to cause this to happen, even at public access courses, mm-hmm. where there's public access courses, sure, but they're also often got members and there's 
you know, some sort of comp on for the members that day. You can, but then you can just pay your green fees and go on. But the vast majority of courses in Australia are, I guess, what you'd call semi-private, and the membership is the the core concern mm. for the club, and the members want a comp, and right. therefore any visitors have to play in that comp as well. So I guess what well, I guess just, my it just sort of question builds, it all builds from there that you know to play golf in Australia you kind of have to be a member of a golf club and if, if you're a member of a golf club you're they're going to put comp. comps on for you yeah <laughs> so it, it just all builds from that yeah, yeah. yeah. sorry Derek well it, so what is the that, that's the that's the that's the structure of how this works but what's the what's the downside what effect do you see that this has on the way the game is played or the game is enjoyed or or, or the way the game develops That's through time. Did is there, not, did you is not there read a negative my column, Derek? I covered all of these points very, very, very thoroughly, I'm sure. <laughs> well, that's, um, that's not a that's not good podcast if no, we just not. tell everybody to go read the story. We've so got to, I've written uh, about this before, and every time I do, we get emails because there is a and Twitter would suggest that there's an awful lot of people who don't agree with them. But I think what happens in Australia in particular is that slowly but surely, without golfers realizing, the fun gets eroded from the game. When you're a kid and you go play golf with your mates, the competition, and it is competition, and of course you don't play for just no reason. That would be kind of silly, as one of the Twitter threads pointed out. There's some point to it. But the competition is, I'm going to hit it over this tree and stop it before that green. And then you see if you can do it too. And if you don't, then I won. And if you do, then we move to the knee. And you would make up your own sort of competition. But they'd be fun. And it didn't matter if you bladed it into the tree. That would be funny. Or if you chunked it and left it short of the tree, that would be funny too. When you're, all of your golf is competition golf, that slowly gets eroded to the point where you start to think, I probably shouldn't try that shot in case it doesn't come off. Then that double or that wipe goes on the scorecard. That affects my handicap. So it introduces a whole bunch of consequences that take some of the fun out of the golf. I guess that's my concern about it is that when every round is a tournament round, you actually, I think it damages people's golf too because they never try the shots that who knows, they might pull off one in 10 times. They don't know that because they never try it 10 times to find out they can only do it once or maybe seven times. And I think that's the downside. But it's the fun that I think there's no more fun than going out, Adrian and I, with two other blokes and playing a four-ball match off handicaps, whatever our handicaps are, for a bowl of chips. And it's a hoot. And in that scenario, you do try the crazy shot. You know, Adrian's already laid up on the path. I'll take driver off the deck, see if I can knock it over the water and stop it on the green. Sure, I might not, but it's going to be a hoot trying. And when I top it, everyone's going to think that's funny. Yeah, much more likely. Which is a much more... much more. I'm an entertainer by nature, Adrian. <laughs> um, but I guess yeah, and people don't seem to... That, that's the point I'm trying to make. I've probably made it clumsily in the piece and I've made it clumsily again here. But I think it erodes some of the fun out of the game. We all know golfers who, for whom the game just doesn't seem to provide any fun anymore. It's a real serious sort of yeah, second-life yeah, pursuit. The picture you've painted of golf in Australia is quite dreary. A bunch of, <laughs> a bunch well, of robotic I, people going it, through it playing if you competitions it. out of force yeah. of habit. Well, I, I want to defend it for a second because I quite like playing competition golf, and I mm. I posed an a uh, an opposing view uh, to, uh, to this. Smacked you down and devastated. <laughs> come back from there. I don't think your argument could go any further. Anyway, get on, um, well, I just I, I enjoy playing in a comp, mm -hmm. and that feeling that you can get it, it you can actually feel something mm -hmm. in a comp that you don't feel when you're just playing casually. You get you get brief glimpses of it, I think, but. That slow winding build of the tension of, yeah. that you get, it's particularly if you're having a good round. But even if you're not, if 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 it's like you've got to bogey the last four holes to make thirty <laughs> points to, to win the Australian yeah. Golf Riders Championship, that's right. Um, there's a lot of tension in that as well. But you know, you don't want to have to go into the clubhouse afterwards and tell everyone you've had twenty six or twenty eight or something like that. And uh, so, no matter what it is, whatever goal you set yourself to, like recover. A disastrous score after six holes, and or actually like keep building on a good score with the potential to win a comp. Um, you can actually feel something from that, and it's that sort of slow ratcheting up of tension. And look, there's not a lot at stake, but what's at stake is what's in your head, basically. And you can kind of make your own uh, middle mini masters in your head. Mm. And it, for me, if there's nothing, if if there's nothing on the line. Uh, it, I, I can't really get there, you know. It just doesn't. It doesn't do it for me. A side bet certainly 
does, but it only sort of, I feel like it only comes into consideration in the closing stages. Like you're having a bunch of fun mm. and then it gets serious. So, so in my defense, I would, all I would say is this. At no point do I say or do I believe that competition golf is bad yep. and people yep. shouldn't pay it. We all like competition golf for all the reasons you've outlined. What I think happens in Australia in particular is that's the only golf people play. Yeah, there's a false equivalency, isn't there? Mm-hmm. And inversely, just because you like competition golf doesn't mean that you don't also like having fun. Like Richard Feynman said, you know, the beauty of a flower is available to me as well, even though I understand how, you know, the chemical processes in a Who's flower Richard, work and everything. Hang on, back up. Who's Richard Feynman? What have you <laughs> introduced to? What are you talking about? Richard Feynman. This is a great equivalent. This is a really good analogy for this, I think. Richard Feynman's. Um, He's a scientist, he won Nobel Prize winner from um, way back. Uh, but he was amazing in a number of fields. Um, physis- he was oh, primarily a physicist, I but also- that. I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> it's annoying. <laughs> he's an ama- amazing person, an amazing life, and great, great quotes and everything. But one of the points he made about somebody who said, uh, like an artist came to him and said, you scientists, you, you look at a flower and you just try and dissect it. I look at it and it's, it's beautiful. And Feynman said, well, look, that, the beauty of that flower is available to me as well. Mm-hmm. And, well. But then I can appreciate its beauty at other levels as well. That's open to me as well. And then I'll dissect it. That's right. Then I'll cut it into <laughs> small pieces to see yeah. how it works. But yeah. it's, a, it's, it's a beautiful piece he, he said about that. But I feel like that with competition golf and with fun, you can have fun inside a competition. Oh, absolutely. I'm just, not the only thing you can't really do is throw down another ball mm. and, and sort of say- you know, oh, let's try that again, or let's mm. let's walk over here and throw a ball down Let, and have it. Let's play from that tee to that green exactly. instead of the formal you, hole. You can't do some of that, of and I enjoy that as well. But I probably like the majority of my golf to be in that formal setting mm. where it's a stipulated round played within the rules of golf, and you're trying to trying to make a score. So you're the problem. I, I still have fun within that. So you're the so problem, not the solution. I think. I, I approach it with the right <laughs> attitude. Yeah. But I, I get Strong your point. Opinions loosely held. Yeah. lovely. I think I get your point that a lot of people. Um, do you know those guys who won't yeah, play no, if it's absolutely. not a call? They, they won't don't, play. Yeah, yep. And Would they sit won't. at home instead, do something else rather than play. And it potentially is detrimental to their game because you see them get down after two or three holes where they're just like, oh, what was the point of this? Like, mm-hmm. I, like I could, you know, I came here because I don't want to go to the shopping centre and be dragged around or something <laughs> at the shopping centre. But now here I am, a grown man playing this game. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I've wasted five hours of my life at this place. What's going wrong when I was There's a young no, man? What's I the had point? So much what's the point of this? And I could have just, been anything. You see their head go down, and they they just feel the futility mm. of the whole thing. And uh, yeah, that's it's very sad. I feel like this doesn't resonate so much outside of Australia, but certainly it did with somebody because Phil Blackmar wrote a piece and mentioned me in his piece and made a bunch of the same points. So I've made it. Yeah, I did. I didn't. I don't know. I didn't see that at all. You got a mention, oh, did yeah. you? I'll send it I'm to sure you. Sure, what you're sure. talking about? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. You nasty people. But uh, good on Phil. It was uh, very nice of Phil to mention me. While Adrian was talking there, Derek, I was reminded of something else that always intrigues me about golf, and I often think about golf. And I think I've written about this in the past too. It's a wonderful meeting of science and art, is it not? Golf. I think it's one of its great beauties that you can have Ben Hogan and Seve Ballesteros opposite ends of the, that same spectrum. And the game is equally intriguing to both. Yeah. And both have mastered it, quote-unquote, for want of a better term, in their own way. Isn't it just the most beautiful game of all in that way, do you think, Derek? Uh, only if we roll back equipment so that we... <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no. In all seriousness, that that element of, of golf, at least at least the kind of golf that we would watch on television, is, is I mean, that's that's fading away, isn't it? That, so, that science, science is certainly was, in the in the ascendancy, don't you think? In this generation, this period is is science in the ascendancy. It's TrackMan, yeah. It's graphite. It's titanium. It's thin faces. It's a characteristic time test to see whether you point oh 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 one three micro components over the. It's very science these days, isn't it? Even to the yeah, it's all based on yeah yeah. No, everything's numbers. Um, like for example, who would you say in professional golf right now is an artist? Bubba. Yeah. yeah, he's he's Bubba one. He, he's <laughs> is there anybody oh, else? Curtis Luck is an artist, although the rest of the world hasn't had the opportunity to see him yet on the biggest stage. But Curtis Luck is very. I'll give you an example of Curtis Luck. We follow, Mike Clayton caddied for him at the Australian Open last year, and we were following. And the fifth hole at the Australian Open is a par five with an elevated tee. Year before, to, year before. Yep. 
and we were waiting down on the fairway where we expected the players to sort of hit it. And Curtis Luxball was 30 yards back uh, by the time he hit it. And as he walked down the fairway, Clates was pulling the three wood out of the bag because Clates was waiting down the fairway and you know, getting it ready. And Curtis said, no, don't worry about it, I'll hit this one again. So he stood up and ripped this driver off the deck 250 yards down towards the green. And Clates said to him, what happened? What, how come you're so far back here? And Curtis said... <laughs> I was just trying to squeeze a low one out there with the driver and it caught the front of the tee, <laughs> the tee block. <laughs> it caught the ground at the front of the tee. So low did he launch it that it's just sort of clipped the grass as it went past and took 30 yards off the flight of the ball. I would, I would describe him as an artist, Curtis. Yeah. But there's yeah. not many. Yeah. Minwoo Lee as well. well. It's, because Min-woo. it's hard. It's, sort of it's hard to make the ball spin and curve. And that's what you associate with artistry is being able to, to maneuver the ball around the golf course and, and see golf in a way that other players didn't see it. Like Sebi, mm. you know, he, he just wasn't looking at situations the same way other people were. A lot of times he had to, because he was in some strange places, but he, you know, he, he could envision a style of golf and shots that were abnormal. And it's just harder. It's hard to do that with contemporary equipment. The ball doesn't spin as much, and everything is designed to get the ball elevated and airborne uh, with a little spin, yeah. especially with the longer clubs. So, so the, the the artistic approach is probably also, I would suggest to you, Adrian, not as effective in the modern. If you want, if if the game is, and this is the game when there's so much money at stake, have the least shots possible, including sh- saving the point oh one of a shot yep. at any given time, then the most direct sensible robotic way to play the game is going to be the most effective for making the most money and there's no yep. room for a punch cut six iron across water to a tucked flag in that scenario yeah it's and it's not just shaping the ball i think the equipment here's a more subtle case of it i think the equipment has taken the joy out of smashing the ball as well to, uh-huh. to some extent everyone does it everyone does it and they also stand up and take ridiculous lines off the tee, but they do it with such casual competence that it, it there's no joy in that. Like everybody, every pro, and actually we saw this at the Italian Open um, uh, with that funny looking course that they played. <laughs> we'll come to that. Olgata <laughs> Golf Club or something like that. But yeah, it just looked like a suburban tree-lined course, right? Um, which was interesting to see pros play on that. But they're just taking, standing up on these tees, taking ridiculous lines, but with a just a casual competence that there's no... There's nothing thrilling about it. There's no, you, there's nothing at stake. Like I remember, you know, Norman in uh, in the eighties in, in Australia here, he's playing similar courses to that sort of thing. Like a lot of our tournaments in that mm-hmm. in that day was. Well, you think of Huntingdale, don't you? They were played, yeah, exactly. They were played on courses which aren't. Um, you wouldn't characterize them as suburban, but they're you know members clubs, um, and not necessarily, uh, you know. Massive championship. Not, it's not TPC, right? It's not mm-hmm. not part of the TPC network. And you do get funky little lines that you can take off the tee if you've got that shot in your bag. And very few people did. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the sort of thing. As much as watching Sevy, as much as anything, it's when he when you see Sevy lining up in some weird angle, there's something on. Mm-hmm. Like there's an well, excitement. This, well, this is interesting. What's it's he it's doing not here? necessarily that he's going to bend it. It's no. that he's going to smash it better. Mm-hmm. That like he's going to use his power and his strength and his imagination to find a line that nobody else can find. And there's not even any bending involved in that. It's just the fact that he has mm-hmm. 10 extra metres that nobody else has and and the the flair to try and take something on. So, like, so part of that is about the arena no longer fitting the equipment, isn't yeah. it? And, and uh, what you're talking about is exactly the point you made a couple of weeks ago, Derek, that forced you into hiding for a couple of weeks, is that these the modern... Uh, proficient elite player does not see the golf course that you and I see. That's right. They that they see the line across the trees on the corner of the dog leg as the only option. Yep. You'd be mad not to because it's a perfectly playable shot, and the percentages are in your favour that that's what you can play. And the most effective way to get from here to that green is to cut that corner and hit a nine iron in. Yep. So. I think that's the point you were making, was it not, a couple of weeks ago? That, that, that what yeah, we see absolutely. and what we it, want to see in golf is not what they see. Yes, and it, it's, it all converges on on technology and course setups, which we talked about last week as well. The, there's very few courses on the tour that reward the kind of artistry that hmm. you're just talking about. You know, hitting, hitting a ball into a green requires a high shot because it's soft. You, and 
a lot of times the turf in front of the green is not firm enough to let a shot bound onto the green. And I'm talking about a typical, you know, American mm-hmm. golf course. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you, you combine that with the launch angles and the, the grooving of swings, you know, to, to numbers and, and spin rates. And it, it all comes, you know, down to the, what we see in the PGA tour right now. It's a, it's a very one dimensional product. Um, Is there any beauty in it? We're not seeing it. Is there a beauty in it? Maybe that's the point you were making. Derek, a couple of weeks ago, does it have I, its I own beauty that yeah, we're missing? It has its own. It has its own type of beauty. Uh, you have to get the right set, set of circumstances to really draw that out. Uh, on a Friday afternoon, you know, in in Houston this week, there's not a lot of beauty in it. But um, if the golf is compelling and there's drama down the stretch, and those shots become, they actually do become more difficult. There's a little more thought behind it if you're going to take certain lines or you're going to attack certain pins uh, on on Sunday. So. Um, I find I do find beauty in it. Um, I I would also lament the the lack of uh, artistry. I definitely it, we, it's definitely tilted toward science too heavily right now. But I think you can still, and I think a lot most people do find something compelling in the current way that the professionals play golf. It's that sort of like is this going to be an opportunity to hoot and holler though? That that's what I feel like is at stake with a pro standing over a ball on a tee shot these days is 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 it going to be something that excites me in that um that overly titillating type of way where it's just like woo you know that that's that's it's not quite <laughs> which i really uh, you know really golf really gets me hooting, i'm glad hooting I've, and hollering. Got, I've got you <laughs> hooting and hollering on tape and that is just but fantastic it's Compare that, like yeah, that you know that that player's heart rate isn't up, and your heart rate isn't up watching it. Whereas, again, to to draw on Seve for example, look at the old what made the uh, world match play so great. Watching that in the eighties, and well, I think it was over by the eighties, wasn't it? Mm, no, um, no, no, it went into the nineties. It did it. Okay, yeah, it would, would went, play Wentworth. Omira, didn't he? At uh, Omira, they changed the format. No, I'm talking fields, about but... the one at Wentworth. Yeah, the one at Wentworth. Went, okay, went into the nineties. Yeah. All right. Um, so seventeenth at Wentworth, big par, big sweeping par five with mm-hmm. an off-camber fairway. Seve standing up with something on the line, like you know he might be one down or two to play, and you know that Seve can hit this big, tall sweeping hook that's going to hold that off-camber fairway and maybe actually get right up around the corner and have a little view of the green. Nobody's playing that shot these days. It's nobody's standing on that tee these days in professional golf making you feel that and making you understand that when they're standing over the ball. Golf, viewing golf for me is all about understanding what's at stake. Mm. Even Tiger's lost a bit of that. Tiger, yeah. When Tiger stood over the ball, it used to be electric. What's going to happen what's next? Part happen? of that was the legend yeah. and the story and all the rest of it. But you did feel that and then he would do things. The two iron he hit into the 18th at Valhalla in the year he had the playoff with Bob May. It was just an extraordinary yeah. golf show. What it, now, I remember Faraday talking about this. He said that uh, Steve Williams told him that Tiger's hitting two, his two-iron better than he's ever seen it. And Faraday said that means that Tiger's hitting his two-iron better than anybody's ever seen hit anybody it. hit a yeah. two-iron in, in, in the history because he just hit these incredible shots with it. Is there an answer, Derek? Is there some happy medium? Uh, unless unless the golf courses grow to meet the challenge of that science, which is the biggest problem with it, if we had uh, infinite space, it wouldn't be a problem. You just keep adding to it so that the challenge and the arm wrestle remains the same. But what's the solution given that we've got a finite resource and that, in fact, the outside world is closing in on golf and shortly the decision will no longer be in the hands of golf itself. It'll be in the hands of the outside world saying you cannot have all of that space for that recreation. Right. Uh, it depends on what your goals are. I mean, if your goal is to create a more compelling competition, I mean, there are definitely things that, that can be done. If your goal is to bring back you know, consequence. Well, I think you can do it both ways. I, I think course setup, you could, there are definitely things that can be done in course setup, but the PJ tour is not, not interested in that. Mm. They're interested in, uh, in not embarrass, embarrassing the, the players and, and not giving them, uh, anything to complain about, but you could, you could remove the rake, take the rake out of tournament golf and let bunkers be real hazards. Guys will start to really consider where they're whether they're going to gun for that par five and two or not. Um, you just the way you can set up a golf course. I think it can be done to really make bring back some of that drama 
and some of that decision making that we don't see now as Adrian has just been pointing out like there's one way to play most of these holes you know and even if even if the drive has to carry a, a trees at the corner of a dog leg but everybody takes that aggressive line well you know you could if you really were serious about it you could you could tweak the golf course to make it so that that may not be a very attractive play anymore because if you don't hit the fairway or you don't get in the right spot you're left with a real seriously difficult shot um but all that said the pga tour is not going to do anything radical like that because they're not interested in it they're they're pretty happy with what they've got right now they think that they think it's a great product God, they, I, I'm sure they don't listen to us, but they would hate to be hearing all of this. We we would be the clueless nongs who've got no idea what we're talking about. What do you reckon, Adrian? Is there a happy medium somewhere? Perhaps. I, I, and again, I, I'll draw on the NFL comparison, I think, because I've, I've come into that not knowing anything about the history of that game and the product that they've developed to me, seems like what the PJ Tour is trying to achieve. Like, dial. Do you, do you like it? Everything up to 11. And I really like it. Yeah. Would you? <laughs> would just, you? Everything's really precise down to the centimeter. Or, sorry, it's, it's all imperial over there. Um, but uh, it, it just the product, the, the amount of polish and structure that they've applied to that, I think, is to its benefit for me as a casual mm-hmm. newcomer to that sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and I enjoy it. And I can see the PJ Tour is trying to achieve that same level of sanitation of golf to take it from being the standardization of the playing field and, uh, and yeah, the, the, the way pros look even. <laughs> like just the, They're all sponsored by Jay Lindeberg. This <laughs> they just ran you through the list. Yeah, exactly. But I can see where they're going, but I, I don't think it works for golf. But I, I'm because we come from a different era. I'm blind what to, kids think? to what people, yeah, coming into the game now. Does would anybody think. know any young people? Can we get a young person on the show? Silence. <laughs> Did you hear the silence? Is, uh, are we golf's problem? Is that silence just just absolutely encapsulate the fact that we are the problem with golf? We oh, we're not the problem. Any young people out there? Is there any young people? We get Falcon on. Like get Falcon on. Yeah, okay. to explain himself and his generation and what they've done to the game, and then we'll take him out the back and flog him, and hopefully that'll yeah. uh, that'll sort of. It's complicated, isn't it? It's complex. A bit like the column I wrote, where I'm not saying competition golf is bad. We're not saying modern players are bad. Not blaming the players. No. Not even really blaming They're anybody. Just optimizing for the most for the thing that's, that's presented right. to them. Sure. That you present them with a certain challenge, yeah. they'll optimize for that. So mo- most people but, blame uh, the governing yeah. bodies, but there's no value in blame. It's more a case of what's the best thing for the game and all of us who love it, and that's the real question. It's not about who's at fault. And we bog down in the, you know, uh, what's Haggis called them? The Muppets. He's big on calling you know the USGA and the Muppets. There's no value in that, ultimately. It gives you a little bit of a sense of self-satisfaction when you say it, but it doesn't achieve anything. What we really need to do is get on with trying to decide what we want golf to look like, which I feel like is the point we're at now. And If we do settle on golf looking something more like what it used to, because we agree that it's lost something, I want to see Dustin Johnson hit a one-iron to the 15th at Augusta. I'm being robbed. Yep. Because I don't get to see yeah, that, and that's that 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 heart rate lifting that you're talking exactly. about for both of us. Because great architecture should separate players in that manner, mm. where only a, a player of that standard or who, who has those skills yep. or has that shot in the bag yep. is is going to be able to separate him or, him or herself right. from the other people in the mm-hmm. field. So, I don't know. There's some big themes there. Sorry, Derek, I interrupted you. You were about to say something devastatingly intelligent. I feel. Yeah, I was, but then I just realised I'm going to get back in my turtle shell now. <laughs> Keep it to myself. <laughs> uh, perhaps save it for a call. Let's move on for all that. Now, you mentioned the course at the Italian Open, Age. I think you had some thoughts you wanted to share with us about it. it, it it's interesting to see. People often say, oh, I wonder what the two, I wonder what the players would do if they came to my course. Yeah. Is this, a, <laughs> is this an example of what tour players might do if they came to visit your course? I think it is. Um, I, I, I looked up the course online just because I was curious, you know, how it stands among Italians, like how do, how would they regard it? And and I think the best I can tell, they they probably think of it as a very sort of exclusive club that you know if you get a game there, then that's. I don't think it's actually that private. I think you can just roll up and pay. But Concord, or not roll up and pay. I'm just trying to relate yeah, it to what you might relate to in something Sydney. like that. I'm I'm not sure, but it's yeah, it's not. 
a recognised tournament venue, although it has hosted a number of Italian Opens, it hosted World Cups. Um, it's it's kind of a pretty storied sort of venue in Italy. But anyway, it just on TV it looked incredibly banal and plain and suburban and like the courses that we play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, and and the scores were okay. Like it, it had sixteen under, I think. Yeah, it? Mm-hmm. it had small greens and um, tree lined fairways and looked ridiculously narrow. Um, uh, so I don't know. It's uh, it was it's interesting. It, it was to watch interesting the- to look at, but it, only because it's different. Maybe um, would you like to see golf like that every week? I don't think so. No. It, it's what makes that Mexican tournament kind interesting. of interesting as well. They isn't hit it, it in the trees. They got to shape it out. They got to do all the stuff yeah. that Seve used to do. That, um, uh, that they don't see much of it. Derek, I think I can't remember who it was. I'm sure it was somebody on Feed the Ball a few months ago said that. The PGA Tour should just pick a municipal course once a year, give them two weeks' notice, and turn up and play a tournament there. Now, of course, there's some logistics about that, and there's some reasons why that'll never happen. But it's an interesting concept, isn't it? That would yeah, that was that was Jay Blasey um, who said that, and it was it was kind of a, also about you know giving something back that mm-hmm. the tour players could you know donate you know show up to this tournament that they normally would not be uh, interested in playing. And it had to do with with you know investing resources or prize money back into the community. But yeah, the concept was that wouldn't it be interesting just to hold a PGA tournament with with great players at the most ordinary golf course in whatever town that they were in, um, and and to see what would what would happen and what it would be like to watch these guys play on conditions that were mm-hmm. probably so far below and beneath what they're used to seeing and how how would they adapt to that? Uh, I still think it's <laughs> I that would be. I'm intrigued. Oh, maybe the most compelling <laughs> tournament of the year outside Big the time. majors to watch that. To, to watch Rory McElroy have to hit off dirt <laughs> into a, yeah. you know. Play like the rest of uh, us Yeah, absolutely. Play, you know? yeah. Well, <laughs> he gets well, out of his club that he reserves for yeah, the times right. when there might be some pebbles under <laughs> the, his ball the or something. The seven-iron that yeah. he carries for just this occasion. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you've hit it in the, you don't want to scratch up the, the bottom. No, that's exactly right. You're doing the rubbish. Yeah. It's a fascinating idea. I mean, we know it'll never happen, but my goodness, it's got some – it would – it would be extremely interesting in so many ways to watch. It would that. be good too. It would be very, very great to see it, and, and be entertaining. It would be such a It'd be, such a gesture of yeah. of uh, acceptance by people who are pretty used to getting things the, just the way they like them. That I, I see so much, so much goodwill and value in 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 that. It, like you said, it'll never happen. But oh, what an idea! Women's game do it with every yarn every year. Oh, zing! Bird. You've been Bird. in a mood these last couple. What did you you? Burnt me on Twitter too the other day. It was about the uh, I know you about prob- the handicaps and competence and you probably had it coming. Yeah, probably yeah. Um, nasty stuff. Uh, let's move on from that, Derek. Uh, there was some news during the week, and I didn't get to read the whole thing. In fact, to the point where I didn't even know what it was about when I foolishly pretended that I sort of had some idea. Tell us about the Tiger Woods announcement this past week and why that might be interesting. Yeah, so a topic that that I can't seem to get away from on on the Feed the Ball podcast is looking at courses, short courses. And there's a lot of a lot of heat around short courses right now. Tony Deere just wrote a, a piece in Lynx magazine about short courses around the country and I I I'm just seeing a lot more attention given to this. But right now most of these are either affiliated maybe with a private course or you have to get on an airplane and fly to Bandon or or uh you know um Sand Valley or someplace like that to really get the full effect of these uh, non 18 hole short kind of pitch and putt courses on really great terrain. And so we always, we always talk about on the podcast, like what, what would it take to get something like that into an urban center? And, and I know, and then everybody says, well, there's, they're all over the place. They, you know, they've been around forever, but to, to get something that has actually really compelling architecture and is maybe, uh, municipally funded, um, just some place where a kid can ride his bike and play twelve really interesting, architecturally significant holes with a wedge and a putter. So that comes up a lot. And then I see what Tiger Woods is doing with this new concept called Pop Stroke, and it's it's not a short course, but it's it's a glorified looks like a glorified putt putt golf course with uh, it, all sorts of different types of technology built in. You're, you're, you keep phone uh, a score on your iPhone. There's like an app you can download, I think, and it it tallies things for you. And um, it, it's it's like Top Golf in that there's a f- uh, food and beverage component to it. You can play it at night. And and I just I thought that was actually a really good idea. I've I've still never been to Top Golf, so I don't really know what that's like, and I don't really consider that golf. But this is actually uh, 
to, to put your ball around some what looked to be pretty interesting green forms with, with lots of roll and, and pitch. And it's like a it's it's close to getting to that level of where you're bringing something that's really unique, like the Himalayas putting surface uh, from St. Andrews or uh, Gamble Sands has a really amazing uh, putting course. Uh, Paul Cowley, at, uh, who was on my podcast a few episodes ago, built one that just opened up down at Diamante Dunes in Cabo San Lucas. Just taking that, which is real golf, putting is real golf, and mm-hmm. having to use your imagination to get your ball uh, to the hole on some really exaggerated contours and bringing that into towns uh, and then being able to play it at night and playing with your family and, and have, have a beer while you're playing it. That, to me, is a really interesting idea. To It's another way to like open a door and expose people to an element of golf that, that's not just like top golf where you, you know, you're, you're drinking and you're hitting a, a ball at an electronic target out there, but you're probably never going to, well, I shouldn't say this, but a lot of people are never going to take, take the experience beyond that. This is this resonates to me. This this feels a little bit more like uh, real golf, and it might have potential to kind of get people interested in it. Uh, and it's again the fact that it's in a uh, an urban center close to where people live is a real bonus. Mm. Just quickly on the top golf, and I agree with you that <clears throat> we'll get emails about this too. I'm I'm in your camp on that, Derek. People talk about top golf and bringing people to golf. I don't know if we know the numbers on that. The problem with it is. If your first experience of golf is Top Golf, then you think I'd like to go and try golf because you think that's the product. You're in for some sore disappointment. Yeah, it's going to be a right at a golf course, and it is not not like that anything like Top Golf. So that's maybe the issue. That what do you reckon, Adrian? We, I think you've been to Winter Park. They've got the big publicly available putting green, don't they? Now with the putters just lined up, you can wander down there, pick up a putter, and yeah, do um, it free. Yeah, oh, it's it's not that big, but yeah, I mean it's in a it's actually set away from the clubhouse a little bit in a. Um, Bit of a odd spot again. It's sort of just sort of there in the suburb. You can, it's its own thing, really. Uh, which I guess this is what that's about. Uh, the thing I like about putting as an entry to the game is that you're walking. Mm-hmm. So what time no is at pop stroke? It's not the shark experience. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing um, is Adrian. Nothing <laughs> is. The, um, and you're just carrying one club around, which is a great way to play golf. Full stop. If mm-hmm. you're just you know, that it's a tremendously fun thing to do to have have a, a lightweight kit, and I, I guess putt putt provides that. Um, I, I just like the that sense of you know you've got this multi-purpose tool in your hand that you can just get around this whole entire mm. course with, and it can produce all types of shots because of the what the ball's doing on the ground. Um, I, I like I like that from a introduction to golf point of view. Mm. And putting, you know, putting's a game within a game. And it? if so. you start this as a kid, it's going to hold you in good stead if you ever take up golf later down the track, which yeah. is just an accidental bonus of the whole thing. I recall yeah. one of the first interactions you and I had, Derek. I wrote a piece a couple of years ago about Tiger's legacy. And obviously, his playing career is going to dominate that. But he's doing some fantastic stuff, I feel, Tiger, in his course design work, which is limited. But the pictures we've seen of Blue Jack and the short course that he built there, I think he also insisted on a short course at his project down in Mexico, that was, or in the Bahamas, sorry, that was part of the deal to do that. This idea where he's getting it, he seems to get it, doesn't he, what you can do to appeal to the child within? Because that's what this feels like to me. If you're a golfer, yeah. you take your kid, and your kid's not going to get bored putting around a Himalaya-style putting agreement because there's plenty for the imagination to keep it busy. He seems to get it in that way. I, I feel like that's really important, particularly given who he is in the game. Yeah, and, and it goes back to you know he was a he was a public course kid. I mean, uh-huh. he grew up on these kind of these uh, <laughs> suffering golf cor- municipal golf courses in Southern California that that were not great. And he had to even hustle. You know, and his dad had to hustle to even get him you know range balls and get him on these golf courses. Who's but, laughing I, now? I, eh? <laughs> Who's laughing right, now? Right. Yeah. But I always found that really compelling about Tiger Woods mm-hmm. is that, you know, for all of his, his fame and, and riches, you can tell, like, kids who grow up on municipal golf courses kind of tend to see golf in a little different way than the country club kids. And I don't I don't mean that in a disparaging way, but, you know, you just – that part, that thing is still inside Tiger. And, you know, he's, his foundation does a lot of work with kids, and, and he is making, you know – I think he's doing a lot of great things for golf, but he does, to your point, he does, I think, see, still see golf in many ways with sort of like a kid's perspective yeah. through kids' eyes because that was such a, a probably 
it might have been the best period of his life, to be honest with you. You know, that age before, you know, he got became a, a, a national amateur and was traveling around the country playing. And, you know, that was probably when things got started to get a little more complicated in his life. And mm-hmm. there's probably sort of a, a sense of innocence and purity that he uh, identifies with at that age and being able to just go out and, and, you know, and have a putting competition with your pals or your dad. I reckon that one of the great appeals of early Tiger, one of the reasons he became uh, so incredibly compelling and drew people in, was the extraordinary childlike joy mm. that he obviously took in the game. Eventually, all the rest of the nonsense yeah. wore that out of him. But if you watch early Tiger, the fist pumps and the, the histrionics, they're genuine. That is, that is the kid showing off what he can do and taking just pure joy out of it, and it was so amazing to watch. Yeah. So, I mean, something dark descended over oh, big Tiger and his features on his face even. Like, you could see it. Hundreds the, of millions of them, in fact. Yeah. It's money. It's always money. In, in the early interviews that he gave, he had this sort of open face, mm. and he's got it again now. That's right. It's, it's so obvious. Like, you can see him now. He's got this open face. He's, like, he's a different person. Um, yeah, and the, the quote that he gives actually in this launch of Pop Stroke um, says it all, really. He says, some of my happiest memories are spending time with my pops on the golf course having putting contests. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to others enjoying time with their kids. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's, 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 that's his tweet that he launched yeah. Pop Stroke with. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah, that's uh, d- it's course, definitely true. And, of course, talking about putting and his dad, he still to this day uses, somebody asked him, you know, the, you, it doesn't take you long to go through the putts that he's holding, the important putts, and people ask him, how do you do that, you know? And I saw him at a clinic one day on YouTube explain that the only putting instruction he ever had was from his dad, who told him, putt to the picture. Oh, That's yeah. it. Putt to the picture. Stand in the over head. the ball, yeah. look at the hole, take a picture, and putt to the picture. Yeah. And all of those putts he's hold over all of those tournaments and all those great moments have all been just putt to the picture. No mucking around with strokes and planes and upright and flat and degree. None of that, just putt to the picture. Yeah. And, that's, uh, uh, and I'm, I'm sure he wouldn't mind making millions off this either, by no, the way. Of, just of course, have to well, throw that in. Yeah, of course, because yeah, he, he's struggling, as you know. Although I've got to be honest, I'm not sure. I think there are certainly things that money motivates Tiger to do. There's no question about that. I don't feel like this is one of them. I feel like his course design work, if that was his go, he'd be doing a whole lot more. I'm sure he gets a lot more approaches to design courses than courses he takes on. Uh, now, I might be wrong about that. You had Bo Welling on Feed the Ball, didn't you? Uh, his yeah. sort of head design. Mm-hmm. But that's my feeling is that he only wants to be involved in golf courses that he himself would like to play and would be happy to take his own kids to. Because the, the photos from that Blue Jack National, which it is the one great. I saw, it looks yeah. phenomenal. It does look good. It'd be remarkable if he can pull that off and not – because there, there's so many different influences in these projects. Mm. Like it, you've got people with all sorts of influences from real estate to mm. the, the landowner to other people wanting to have their input on the thing. If Tiger – perhaps the most remarkable thing or one of the – the most remarkable skills that great golf course designers bring to the table is their ability to impose their their will, their vision yeah. on on a project, and be the auteur of a project. And if Tiger has that, and it appears that he might, um, even under enormous uh, other influences, then um, yeah, it, it's very exciting to see what he could produce. Yeah, indeed, I like him. Uh, now. I've just noted the time, so we won't get to this. But speaking of millions, we'll talk about this next week. Speaking of millions and lining your pockets, Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka both during the week announced mm. that they will be going to Saudi Arabia and said a bunch of nice things publicly about golf in the regime. And I think there's a whole bunch of stuff tied up in that. I got myself in a bit of a Sweetens Cove deal with you, that you did last year, Derek, mm-hmm. by yeah, saying that I just, remember. Justin Rose, maybe there were other things for him to consider and things might be more complicated than we see on the surface. The world didn't like that. Uh, I took some heat for that. So we'll discuss that one next week because I think that's an interesting one and it's going to keep bubbling along and it all plays into this modern media stuff and this and the, the big picture of golf, which is what you get here at the Good Good Golf Podcast and you will again next week. But for this week, Adrian Lowe, thank you. been great to have you along. Thanks very much, Rod. And over there in our satellite studio, we'll call it Talking Golf Mobile Studio One. So you're no Studio Two. That's where you are, Derek. That's our uh, that's our studio I'm two. in Georgia. Yeah, you're two. You're Talking Golf. Not three. No. Well, okay. You you'll be two. Yeah. And yeah. 
the sound quality is obviously better than my house. So deuce. Let's let's call it deuce or or de. Deuce. No, we can't just be two. We can, I think we can go with deuce. Sorry, mate. <laughs> so a little <laughs> drop dropping a deuce. Little too uh, little too American. Next will be hooting we'll and hollering and yep. mashed potatoing and you to man. Uh, great to have you aboard wherever the hell it is you're coming from, Derek. Thank you very much for your time today, mate. Thank you. Good timing. I'm just at the end of my glass of beer, so it's, it is time to go. <laughs> Off you go. That's the Good Good Golf Podcast episode for the flagship program of the Talking Golf Network. Make sure to drop into the Talking Golf Network and have a look at some of our other shows, including Derek's Feed the Ball, the course reports with Kurt Tyrrell, State of the Game, the Talking Golf History Podcast, Risk and Reward, and that list is going to grow in the next couple of weeks. You can find me on Twitter at, at Rod underscore Mori. Uh, Adrian is at Adrian Logue, fairly standard, and Derek is at Feed the ball. Make sure you follow us and uh, interact. Send us a message if you've got anything to say. We'll see you next week here on the Good Good Golf Podcast.